If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be in a very familiar verse. Please stand for the reading of God, God's Word. This is a verse that many of us who've been following Jesus or been around church, we probably have a magnet somewhere in our house with this verse on it, maybe a Christmas ornament, maybe we've shared these words with people before, maybe they've been shared with us. Um, but my prayer is that the Word of God will do what the Word of God does. And it would meet us this morning in a very real and profound way so that when we leave this morning, uh, we leave different than when we came. So reading from the book of Proverbs, starting in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I've realized uh, that I'm grieving a little bit that summer is over. Uh, it was an amazing summer for us as the Matasiches. Uh, I love the idea of not a, needed a forced bedtime, so I would come home from work and try to break every boundary that Jenny has set up for our family and play with the boys, and run errands with the boys, and eat sugary things late into the night, and then I just go to work in the morning, and whatever impact of all that Jenny can just handle. Um, We got away for a couple of weeks together as a whole family, never had that much time on on a vacation. It was incredible, but I realized over the course of vacation that there is someone a long, long time ago who had an idea, and this idea was... I don't like parents, so I'm going to create something to frustrate parents for the rest of time. I think I have a picture. Whoever invented these things? I do not like... If this is your livelihood, I am really sorry. Um, But don't worry. Even because I don't like... Just because I don't like them doesn't mean we support your venture. Um, But these things are everywhere. They're in every grocery store, they're at every car wash, they're at every gas station. They are all over the place. And, and, and during this two-week vacation, I realized how they were everywhere because everywhere we went came this question. Daddy, can I have a quarter? And, and you know, when they were younger, when our youngest was younger, our oldest was younger, I could with integrity say, no, I don't, because even if I had one in my pocket... Right? I could justify that it wasn't in my pocket for that outcome, so with some level of integrity, I could kind of semi-lie to him that I didn't have a quarter, and he would take it, and we would be fine. The problem is, he's seven years old now, and he knows that, that one, I'm a pushover, and two, that if we're going on an errand, the likelihood of running into one of these things, and I, I have a seven-year-old who goes, hold on, Dad, I need to run back in the house and get my wallet. <laughs> he doesn't have a job. I don't know where he got the money, number one. But he grabs his wallet, he's got his own quarters, and over the course of our vacation, we had this, this, this conversation that I was trying to teach him, that I know how this is going to end up for you. You're going to put the quarter in the machine, you're going to get some really small car, it's going to be really exciting for about nine minutes, and then you're gonna, your brother's going to take it and you're going to get upset, and then I'm going to take it from you two hours later, and you're not even going to remember you had it. I mean, this, is, this was the way it would go. So I kept telling him, I'm like, every time you see one of these things, let's just, let's just count that. Like, keep that quarter, and we're going to get to, when we get to a couple bucks, I guarantee you, if you let me help you, I know how to get you something that will be better. I know how to get you something that you will treasure. He's really into baseball cards right now. I'm thankful to have a son who is into baseball cards. 
So last weekend, knowing I was thinking about this message and these vending machines, after church on Sunday, he and I went over to Dick's Sporting Goods with a couple of dollars that he had saved, and our goal was to buy a pack of baseball cards. So we buy the baseball cards, open them up, and in his baseball cards, he got a Clayton Kershaw. Uh-huh, we should all be excited about Clayton Kershaw. So he gets this Clayton Kershaw, and sure enough, it goes right in the front page of his, of his baseball card collection. And, and all week long, we've had to tell him, you can't take that to school, but anybody that's come to our home this week gets to see the Clayton Kershaw. Because the lasting value of that present, that toy, has lived a million times past what he could ever get from a vending machine. So when, when I have this dialogue with my son, I'm asking him to trust that I know him. I'm asking him to trust that I know what will bring him lasting fulfillment. I'm asking him to trust that I have a pretty good idea of what better is for him. I'm asking him to trust that my better for him really is better than what he wants in that moment. And and friends, this is the journey we have been on as a church for the last many months through this Proverbs series. It's been a journey of trust. Week in and week out, as we open up the scriptures and look at the book of Proverbs, these these short, pithy statements that encourage us to live a certain way, these sayings, these teachings that observe what is wise and good and true and encourage us to live in that kind of way, week after week, we have heard teaching and we have been in a series that essentially is saying, at the end of it, do we trust that God's idea of better is better? Do we trust that the way God says to live and to view work is better than how we can view it on our own? Do we trust that God's idea of what, what relationships look like really is better? Do we, do we trust that God's idea of, of, of envy and pride, that, that God really is understanding of how to live well in this life? So this morning we, we got this great task to, to wrap up an incredible journey. It has been a great summer at Lake Avenue Church. Because there's something about the book of Proverbs that is just so practical. And week in and week out, we as a church have been confronted with a very practical teaching from the Word of God about how we are to live in this world. And and at the end of the day, we leave this place and we have an opportunity to trust God that what He says and how He calls us to live really is better than anything we could do on our own. And I always get worried at church because, you know, we're, we have these series and some of them go three weeks and some of them go three months. But it, I feel like at the end of the year, it'd be very easy for us to look back and to look at all these different sermon series we've been on. And the worst way to understand that would be look at all these neat lecture series we've been at at the church. We move from one, and next week we begin another one. And next week is going to be incredible. The next long journey we're going to be on together as a whole church, looking at the fruit of the Spirit, is going to be incredible. But I don't just want to teach this proverb this morning from Proverbs 3 without pausing to share with you that God is alive and well in the life of Lake Avenue Church. That all summer long, people have been transformed By the power of God, the power of His Word, the power of the Holy Spirit, I I get the privilege to sit in a seat where I see things and hear things that, frankly, so many of us will never get to see or experience. So last week when I was with a friend I've been meeting with from this church, and we're talking, he says, that week where Greg spoke about temptation, what an incredible week. I had this really, he goes on to tell me this story of his Sunday. 
that as Greg was speaking that morning, he was really encouraged because he knows himself and he knows his history and he was able in this worship service to hear it preached and to basically say, I'm in a really good spot in my life right now. You know, a couple of years ago or even 10 years ago at different seasons, I can see where the temptation in my life around sexual temptation, uh, temptation with the opposite sex, that that was, that was really something I was struggling with. But I sat in church that morning and I was just so encouraged. And I was praying for people who that's their struggle. And he said it was a great afternoon. And then that night, Sunday night, he, he caught something that he hadn't thought about that morning. As is the pattern in his home for the last many months, his wife goes to bed earlier than he does. So she goes to bed on Sunday night. They have this great day Sunday And about 30 minutes into him flipping through the channels, he gets really honest with himself, remembers the message from that morning, and he goes, oh, I've still got some struggles here. Because every night, he's flipping through the channels, just trying to fulfill some kind of fantasy. So the next morning, recognizing that temptation is still something that God is working on in him, he has an incredibly brave conversation with his spouse. And at the end of that conversation, they make an agreement. Why don't we do this? Let's cancel our cable and then take the money we've been paying for cable and let that be our date night fund. So it's only been a year, only been a week since that message. And I was talking this week. I said, so week, week and a half, how's that going? And he looks at me with all sincerity. He hasn't spent a dime on a date yet. And he said, I am more passionately in love with my wife in the last week and a half than I was two weeks ago. We go to bed together. I am not seeing things I shouldn't see. See, we don't preach sermons about temptation. We don't read Proverbs to just go through something and hope you you like it. Sermons preached and the word of God goes out and lives become changed. I think about a conversation I had just on Friday. Woman in our church, stay-at-home mom, trying to get some energy out of her young child. And so she goes to a park, which is why park ex- parks exist. You know that, right? Just to get energy out of your children. It's early in the morning. It's not a very popular day at the park. And so there are only two kids, her child and this other child. And, and if you're a young parent, you know how this goes. So the parents, the moms were on the other side of each other at the park. The kids started talking and playing with each other. When all of a sudden, this mom remembers the message from earlier, from last week about work, and she is reminded that there is no mistake about where she is, and that God has placed her at that park for that moment to be faithful to Him, and where everything inside of her personality wanted just to kind of, everybody stay in their corner till the kids start crying, and then you go meet in the middle, and that's when you start talking. But she does a brave thing again. She walks around, introduces herself to this mom, and in a matter of seconds... Finds out this mom just moved here three months ago, hasn't connected with anybody, incredibly lonely. How do you meet friends in the San Gabriel Valley, which is a very real issue? So they start having this conversation. At the end of that conversation, towards the end, the mom from our church says, you know, where I found community and where I found friendship was at Lake Avenue Church. They have this mops ministry that's amazing. And they start exchanging information. And I can't tell you if the person has signed up yet, but when I talked to this woman at Trader Joe's on Friday, she said to me, I really think she's going to come. 
Because she came to church, she was encouraged by the Word of God, she was reminded what real living looked like, and she trusted that God's idea of better really would be better. And she was on cloud nine. I think about someone after the week we looked at uh, pride. I made some comments about my concerns, specifically centered around the way we talk to one another through social media. Someone in our church emails me and confesses that he's, he's been a bit of a, a brute on social media, picking fights, saying some pretty harsh things that he knows if he was ever talking to somebody in person, he wouldn't have done. Goes on to share with me that he has reached out to a couple people in particular in his life, apologized for that, and said, can we get together over coffee or lunch and actually have a conversation about the way we see things differently? It's powerful. Because we don't just come to church to listen. We come to church and allow the living God to transform our lives. I think about the many, many notes that I have received this summer about people who've been in lifeless marriages, who have been encouraged to rekindle their passion for one another. I, I, I know for certain that marriage is alive and well at Lake Avenue Church. In fact, just Friday, you're sitting right here. Gabriel Ponton... So we got some two powerhouse families at Lake Avenue, the Ponton and the Summers. And as happens at Lake Avenue Church, the royal, royal wedding coming up. Gabriel Ponton and Rachel Summers, congratulations, you're engaged. We, we have a picture of them. They're so pretty, aren't they? I mean, it's a really good looking couple. And others of you in this church, a few weeks ago, seeing, seeing the Loomis family up here, newly married, God is moving among us, Lake Avenue Church. We dare not finish a series, go to the next series, without pausing to recognize that as dark and desperate and lonely as it can feel when we're not in this place, that the Spirit of God is moving and the Spirit of God is changing lives in our church. And so we come to today, and, and, and the worst thing we could do is just come drum up another message and move on, and next week start over. We're gonna, we have to sit in this a little bit and to see how God is working in our church, my own life. Of all the messages this, this, this summer, the one that is still messing with me is that week that Greg spoke about anger. Greg and I joked that week. I was so glad he was kind of nice to me in the message. That I think the reason we work well together, Greg, is Greg is this, you know, he talked about the simmer person and then the, the reactive person. Greg is like a crock pot, and I'm like flambe, you know? Like, somehow if we come together, we're, we're tolerable together, you know? Um, we work really well together. But that anger message is really challenging me still because I want to trust that my instincts are not right. I want to trust that the way of living that God calls us to live really is better and so we need to do that fully as a church. So we come to today to close this series, remembering that everything we've been doing is essentially trusting God that his way of living really is a better way of living. And we come to a very familiar passage in 5 and 6. I, I, I quipped about it earlier. That I think the whole Christian retail industry is based on verses like this. And so I've been sitting in this verse for a, these verses for a couple of weeks, 
something that's so familiar to all of us, and I, I just want to briefly look at three phrases that have jumped out to me over the last couple weeks. The first one is all your heart. The next one is all your ways. And then the final one is make your path straight. But before we get to path straight, let's look at this, all of your heart and all of your ways. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Heart is an interesting word for us. There is a big difference from the way we use heart and the way the book of Proverbs understands heart. For us, especially in church, when we use the word heart, we are referring to, a, to the part of the, the emotional connection that we have to someone, to something, the feelings that come alongside uh, being in connection with God. Uh, but heart in Proverbs is those things, but it's so much more. It's not just emotional connection, it's everything. It's mind, body, spirit. It's the locus of who we are and ourselves. The center of who we are would be our heart. All of us, our volition, our inclinations, our disposition, everything about us. So when, it, when the writer says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, there's an allness to that statement. Trust in the Lord with everything you are. Don't just trust in the Lord when it feels right. Trust in the Lord with everything, everything about you, your mind, your body, your soul, everything. But if we're honest, the word heart shows up mostly for us in the times that we sing. We have a lot of lyrics that speak about our heart. And so much of that emotional, that feeling connection for us is centered around the act of singing in worship music. And that's why some of us, right, you, you will gauge your morning at church whether you connected in the music or not. Because it's such an emotional, uh, it's such a feeling kind of connection to God. Our lyrics take us there. But my concern with that is that doesn't, those sometimes the limiting the heart experience of God to the times that we sing doesn't get at the allness of God that's spoken about in Proverbs. Uh, before I came to Lake Avenue Church, I worked at Forest Home, a camp up in the mountains. I was in charge of our college briefing ministry. It's happening right now at Forest Home. All the college students, historic conference up there. And one year we recognized that we needed to try and get a new worship leader, that the, the team we had had for many years had, had moved on. And so we started kind of putting our ear to the ground on which churches had college-aged students coming and who was leading music there. And, and so a group of us went down to a church in Orange County one night. We walked into this church, and they sang for, for 50 minutes. It was powerful. I remember sitting there and, and kind of being outside of that experience for the first little bit. I mean, people were on their knees. Their hands were in the air. The songs just kept going. People would start praying. It was this very connected, emotional, wonderful time. What I found so interesting was when that music time was over and it went into the teaching time, all of that connection and emotionalness was kind of, kind of left the room. People were kind of whispering. People were not really paying attention. And I, I don't place any judgment on that, but it was just such a juxtaposition. Because to give God their heart, essentially that night, man, I'm going to give him my heart during this great music. But I'm not going to give him the whole night. See, the allness of God is bigger than what happens when we sing. And connecting to the, giving him our heart, trusting the Lord with all our heart, 
is something that certainly we do in a worship service, something we do during singing, but it's not limited to that time. And that means this, that means that what happens after we leave worship is just as important as what happens here. Because the allness of God, I I love music. In fact, yesterday when I'm in my office preparing for this, I I was going through two things back and forth. Worship music being pumped in my office very loudly and then every now and then checking on the Bruin game. And it was a great day of football yesterday, wasn't it? Um, For everybody, for everybody. So, so, so I'm in there, and the music for me is one of these things, and a worship service for you and for me, I hope that this is what happens. There's something about singing, and there's something about being together, and there's something about being in this physical space that reminds us of who God is, and reminds us of who we are, reminds us of that distance, it reorients our life, it redirects us, it reconnects us. But it doesn't do that so that during these 60 to 75 minutes in the worship center, we've connected to God. Wonderful. No, we reconnect to God in this time and in this space so that when we leave, we can trust the Lord with our, our, all of our hearts, all of our lives, everything about us. It, it equips us. It reminds us. It reorients us. So that the real measure of our worship isn't what happens here, it's what happens in our lives when we leave here. If we are to give him everything, if we are to trust the Lord with all of us, all of our hearts, our whole life, what we do when we leave church is just as important as what happens at church. So all of our heart, that's been standing out to me. Then all of your ways... The scripture says, And lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways submit to him. Similar to all of our heart, all of our ways, that means our our words, our behaviors, our actions, our emotions, our physical body, our thoughts, our minutes, our intentions, everything about us. We are to acknowledge Him. So we're supposed to be fully devoted to Him, all of everything we are to trust in Him, and then in everything we are, we are to submit to Him. I think the, the thing that has stood out to me this week is that if we're truthful, our challenge with submitting to God in all of our ways is that oftentimes you and I submit to God in certain ways at certain times. But that this consistent image that we see in Proverbs of in all of our ways giving to Him, we have a more seasonal approach to submitting to Him rather than a lifetime approach. Where it's easy to acknowledge his ways in a moment, a particular moment. But the real challenge is acknowledging his ways, submitting to him in all of our moments. When I was the high school pastor, a message today that you could preach every single week in high school ministry, Mark, I'm sure you do it, is the challenge for high school students to recognize God's presence and his love 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's so often the challenge for our students is that when I'm at church, I'm all about God, and when I'm not at church, it's hard to remember that I'm part of God. So in high school, you need God at some really particular moments. Like You really need God for your SAT. And you really need God when you have your driving test. And you really need God when you're putting the college applications forward. And you really need God when you mess up huge. And you really need the youth pastor to help you with your parents when you mess up huge. 
Here's what I know. The longer I've been out of high school ministry, the more I realize that doesn't stop after high school. That you and I have the same approach to submitting to God, to acknowledging Him. And the struggle that you and I have is that there are these particular moments where our devotion increases because, frankly, we need something from Him. Jenny and I uh, didn't grow up with a dog. She grew up with a, a tortoise that is still alive, believe it or not. It will outlive all of us in this room. And I grew up with cats, and if you have cats, wonderful, but it's not a dog. And so, kind of a dream for us, remember even when we were dating, we were talking about someday it would be really great to get a dog. And so one night we were at Kurt and Kathy Gibson's house. You, know, you guys know Kurt and Kathy. And um, they're, they're dog people. They had a book at their house, and so over the course of dinner, in the back of their book, you actually take a test, and at the end of the test, it will match a breed of dog to the way you answered the questions. And the name of the book is The Right Dog for Your Lifestyle, which is brilliant, right? So we take the test, and at the end of the test, it turns out that the breed that would best match, this is 10 years ago, by the way, about 11 years ago, the best breed that would match the Mattisiches is a French bulldog, which essentially is a cat. Um, so they just cuddle. You know, the reason, why, the reason that matched us is like, you really don't have to walk them. You can leave them alone. They're not going to bite anybody. They're, they're great. So, so I'm like, sweet, French bulldog. Then I get on the internet, and I realized that I even checked it this week. You know, a French bulldog puppy right now, minimum $2,000. Ridiculous. Uh, up to $4,500 actually for a puppy. So I go, that's a great test. I guess we're not getting a dog. But in, in a few months later, I just every now and then would get on the internet and search and see what's out there. And, and sure enough, this dog pops up in the state of Washington. Year and a half girl, French bulldog, $250. And I'd like to tell you, my immediate thought in all candor was, we could flip this dog and make a lot of money. Two hundred and fifty. Clearly, this person hasn't checked out the market. Let's get this dog, right? I'm just telling you the truth. So, so sure enough. So I'm writing this email. My motivation is like, this could really work out, and we get a dog. It's affordable. But if it doesn't work out, we're going away for a weekend. It's going to be awesome. So this is the part where, where you, I, I decide, am I going to play my pastor status card or not? Because it's fifty-fifty shot. I can write in this email, I can just tell them a little bit generic about our family, about our home. Or I could say, I'm a pastor, and sometimes that really pays off. And a lot of times it doesn't, but sometimes it does. So I put in the the email, hey, we saw your ad, saw your ad, she looks beautiful, we live in Southern California, my wife's a teacher, I am a pastor, um, and and we've been really looking for a Frenchie for a long time, it'd be wonderful. It's about 10, 10, 10.30 at night. Maybe like five minutes from the time I sent that email, the phone rings in my house. This is late. I pick up the phone, and this woman is in tears. And she says to me, we have been praying for a Christian home for our dog. (laughs) To which, again, this is ten years ago, my immediate response was, And ma'am, we've been praying for a Christian family, too. (laughs) By the way, we got the dog. 
We had her for 10 years. We lost her this year. She was a great dog. But here's the point of the story. It was very easy for me to acknowledge God when I wanted it to benefit me. It is very easy for us to, in all of our ways, submit to God when we think there's something in it for us. And I want you to hear me right. There are some significant times we need God in very profound, real, tangible ways. When we need a job, we're probably going to God a little deeper during that time. When we have wayward children, we are going to God deeper at that time. But there is a significant difference between acknowledging God in a time of real need and acknowledging God when you need a dog or you need a tax break. (laughs) Friends, in all of our ways, all of our ways, we are to submit to Him. That, That word ways... I think it's, it's intentional. It's a word that connotates a, a journey. It connotates that in all of your ways, not just in this moment, not in just this one particular way, in all of your ways, in this journey of following God, we are to acknowledge Him. It's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing journey. It's not a moment. It's all the moments. It's not a season. It's a lifetime. What's been interesting to me, this, this, so we're supposed to give him all of our heart, this devotion to God, but the very next phrase suggests that even when we give him everything, all of our devotion, that doesn't translate into all knowledge, because we will still battle our own self. Right? The following instruction says we're not to lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him. This is where we miss it sometimes. We, we take our intent and our devotion to, to sometimes the supra-understanding of everything that is God's. And so we read the verse more like, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and He gives you all understanding. So keep on devoting yourself to Jesus. No. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Devotion doesn't equal knowledge in totality. Because we will work harder and harder and more and more in our life to give him all of our hearts. That is an ongoing process. That's an ongoing journey. There are moments where that's easier for us. There's moments where we forget to do that. But as we work on devoting ourselves to God and we walk along this life with him, he gives us his understanding over time, over a lifetime. Which means there's some humility to us who follow God. Because our devotion to him results in a lifelong journey of understanding. Devotion leads to a long journey of understanding obedience. Which means that, quite honestly, some things I thought for sure about what God thought about something earlier in my life, I keep devoting to him, I search him through the scriptures, I search him in community, and there are some things I continue to learn. And there are more and more parts of my life that I'm trying to conform to his image. There are more and more parts of my life that I have to recognize that I got that one wrong. Time to go at it again. It's a journey. So all of our heart, all of our ways. And then then this last part that we need to understand where he says that he will make your paths straight. 
A common way we read this is we have a command, a command, and a promise. The command, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Command, lean not on your understanding and submit to him. And then the promise is that he will make your path straight. I think it is a command, a command, and a promise, but I don't think it's an equation. I don't think it's a A plus B equals C. The truth of this promise is that he promises to make our path straight, but what on earth does it mean to have a straight path? I'll tell you what I don't think it is. I don't think a straight path means it's an easy path. In your worship folder, there's this incredible story uh, from the Takach family who claimed this verse on their life, went through a very long season of difficulty. It's incredible. You've got to read it later. Not now, not now, not now. (laughs) We had dinner with them Friday night, and I was again struck by their faithfulness. But they would be the first people to tell you that they're so thankful that that season's over, but that there was nothing easy about going through unemployment for a significant amount of time. But they can also reflect and go, we felt God's presence with us during that time. Straight path isn't easy. Straight path isn't always clear. I mean, just this week, I mean, you pick up the paper, turn on the internet, look at the despair that is going on in this world where people are fleeing a country and children are washing up on shore. There's nothing clear about a straight path. I even heard a story this week of of a group of church planters in another part of this world that that know full well when they say yes to that call that there's like a 50% chance they're going to die. Straight path doesn't mean success, the way we define success. Straight path doesn't mean clarity. So, So what is the promise of a straight path? And I would say to you that the promise of a straight path is about God's presence with us along the journey. A straight path means we don't walk alone. A straight path means that when we can't see around that corner, we don't know what's going to happen, we know that we are not isolated and we are not stranded. It says, He will make your paths straight. He walks with us in this journey. He walks with us. He's given us His Holy Spirit who resides in and through us. So we are never alone. He gives us community, one another. So in those times of life where it doesn't make any sense, read the Takach family. Read that story. You will see how the community of God has come around them to help them during this time so that in a time of crisis, a time where it's not clear, but they sense the presence of God through the way God has provided His Spirit and His people to them. This summer, uh, one of, a part of our vacation, there was a hike we did up at Lake Tahoe. And I'm with my two boys. I looked a little bit at the map. It's not a hard walk, but it's a bit of a jaunt for a, for a three-year-old. And so, so we're walking, and we're walking, and, and, and Russell, my youngest, keeps asking me, when are we going to get there, Daddy? And every time, I would grab his hand, give him a snack, assure him that we're in this together, and his anxiety would go down. See, that kind of presence is what God says when he says he will make our path straight. It means he walks with us. So that at those times where we question, those times where we want to know when are we going to be done with this, these times where we don't know what's coming around the corner, he says, I've given you my presence. I've given you my people. You are not alone. And you will journey with me and with others. And together we will make 
the path straight. I, I, think, I think it's a significant reality that the way that God has set up this world is that we are not to live alone. And yes, the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit in and among the community is a profound theological truth in the scriptures. And friends, I would say Lake Avenue Church for us is that we can grow in our ability to walk with one another. So early October, we have a whole weekend dedicated to it, this mentor conference where we're bringing in people to inspire us as a congregation to give our lives to other people, to walk with them. I mean, I'm thrilled. I'm honestly thrilled about this Maple Street building. It's incredible. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Guess what? It it doesn't matter if we don't have people walking with our kids. It doesn't matter. It's just a building. And the way that God makes paths straight for children is he places some of us to have this special relationship with them, to walk with them, to know them, and to care with them. And all over this church this happens, but there's a lot of places in this church we can do better. Because the way of the straight path is one where we hold hands with one another as God leads us. So, trusting in God is a lifetime journey. It's not a 12-week series at Lake Avenue Church. It's a lifetime journey. A lifetime of figuring out how to trust him with all of our heart, all of ourselves. A lifetime of seeing and acknowledging him in everything and in every way. A lifetime of devotion that can slowly and continually help us see everything in creation the way God does. But friends, we cannot do it alone. It will not be easy And when it isn't clear, he walks with us, he talks with us, and he provides us to one another. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for these many weeks we've been in the book of Proverbs as a church family. We are grateful and thankful, not just for the few stories that were shared today about what you're doing in the lives of people in this church, but we are grateful for all the places you're touching our lives all the ways of trust that are emerging among us. We want to be the kind of people, Lord, who really do trust you, who trust that your way of living is better than anything we could come up on our own. We want to be the kind of people who trust that when you say something is better, that we trust that it really is better. For all the times, God, where we cash in early and go for the vending machine size idea, We're thankful for your forgiveness, your patience with us, your love for us. I pray for each one of us that the result of being here this morning isn't that we have this awesome 70 minutes together, but that you will remind us and reorient us, refuel us, so that when we leave this place, we go with the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and that this next week we find those brave moments to obey you. And God, until we come back together next week to remind ourselves again, be with this family, be with this church. May our impact on your world be huge this week in ways that we can see and not see. And I pray for myself, my brothers and sisters, that we would be found faithful to all that you have given, all that you have asked. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.